I just want to ask, who in this place needs some encouragement? I think that we all can use some encouragement. And who in this place needs the love of God, compassion, mercy, grace? Who needs that today? I think we all do. Well, you've come to the right place. Because today, in this place, right here, right now, you are in the Lord's designated place, South Sub, located in Littleton, Colorado, at the intersection of faith and hope. You are here at this God-appointed time, and today happens to be Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, nobody jumped up. Like, what's going on? Amen. So what kind of person would I be if I didn't come prepared as a visitor in your house without some Super Bowl snacks. You know, I think I should come with that. So it just so happens that I've prepared a sandwich for all of us to share and bite into before the game even gets started. I know you're all still excited about that, okay. We actually, um, Mark created this meaty goodness called the Markin Sandwich. I don't know if anybody heard about that, but I did over my investigative uh, portion of this. And so I'm just here to be your server. Is that okay? All right, okay. All right, so some of you may know that this is described as when reading the Gospel of Mark, if you've ever encountered um, him interrupting himself mid-story to tell a different one, you have tasted and known the Markin sandwich. So this is also known as intercalation. I had to look that up. So I I, I prefer the Markin sandwich because, you know, I don't like the dictionary. (laughs) So how appropriate is that for Super Bowl Sunday, right? With that being said, let's take a minute to read the Word of God this morning. We have so much to cover in this scripture, and then I picked out some additional scripture, which we may or may not be able to get to depending on the time, because I know you want to get to the Super Bowl party, so I'm just going to be mindful of that. So we're reading through Mark 5, 21 through 43 today, and it reads as this. Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus... He fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with them. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in that crowd and she touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, Her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see people crowded around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing 
what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear and told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they had said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talita kum, that's Aramaic for little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to get her something to eat. Thus says the word of the Lord. Let us pray this morning. Holy Spirit, creator of the universe, Emmanuel, fall afresh on us this day that you have blessed us with as we choose to rejoice and be glad in it. Let your words be our source of light, of hope, and faith leading us to a better understanding of your love, your compassion, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, I pray that you purify me in this moment, purify my thoughts, use me as your vessel, and let the message be only of you and not of me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, I was praying over this service. I was super nervous. I don't know why, but yeah, there's a lot there. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> um, but I, in the midst of that, I thought about the people that I know here that I serve with in the region, those who volunteer and those who partner with Mount Air Christian Church. And I know that Pastor Joe has been peeling back the layers of his series, Love Lives Here. And I have to say that it's really been amazing. I've been, you know, coming and going and just kind of looking online. I'm so thankful that you guys have that set up. I thought if he's ever really trying to, to describe South Sub to someone, he could just say, love lives here. And that would be perfect. And it would be a true statement. In mid-thought, I was trying to, neg to navigate to the church via GPS to see how long it would take to get here in rush hour traffic. And wouldn't you know, it was not working for me. <clears throat> so I'm sure none of you have had that problem. Um, <clears throat> I miss the days from the country where you could give directions like, you know, down past the pine trees, and then you can go over to the two forks in the road, take a left, and then there's actually historical landmarks that are still there, they stay put. Um, but then it hit me as a scripture was in my mind and I was really just trying to go over it and let it seed inside of my heart. If you were describing where love lives and here marks the spot, then I would describe the coordinates as the major intersection of faith and hope. That could mean here at South Sub, or it could mean here in each of us. 
It could mean here in the scripture. And as I was reading, this is where faith and hope intersect. This is a miraculous place indeed. These miracles express the actions of Jesus that day in those two places, showing us that love lives here. Amen? As a reference to faith, I didn't go to our dictionary because the Bible gives us a clear definition, and it's in Hebrews 11.1, 1, and it reads, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, which means a firmly held belief, of things not seen. I don't know how many times I heard that definition, and it just doesn't sink all the way. I have to keep going over it. What does my faith look like today? What, is, what does this mean for me? And I have to go, things unseen. How does that work for me? So then, let's just go back to the Mark and Sandwich. So Pastor Joe last week had explained all the experiences of the disciples up to the storm as they were crossing back to the other side of the lake. Remember, <clears throat> on one side, Jesus was asked to leave. And on this side, people were starting to gather the word was starting to go around. People were interested. They wanted to be around Jesus. Meaning, he was welcome there. In this crowd, Jairus, a desperate dad, he found himself in this place, and he found his way to Jesus. And then he fell to his knees, begging out of desperation for Jesus to lay his hands, his healing hands, on his daughter to save her life. Now back, the backstory on Jairus is that he was a synagogue official, which would probably mean that he was a man of great devotion to the word, to the law, the Torah. He was a great man of wealth, or at least a man of great means, and he was a man of the people, which means he also was a religious insider. Being the official of the synagogue of um, Capernaum, Capernaum, sorry, where Jesus started doing his public ministry, Jairus had heard a likely seen or likely seen Jesus in his neck of the woods, and yet you don't hear about him until now. Because now he's chosen, to, he's exhausted all his efforts, everything that he has. Money can't buy it. The highest priest can't cure his daughter. He's done everything he can, and he's exhausted that all. And still his daughter is not healed. So now, his only hope is Jesus. At all costs to his reputation and kneeling at his feet, he kneeled in humility and respect. He was willing to do whatever it took to save his little girl. Wouldn't you? I know that I would. So the questions that I want to ask, and just to keep those in mind, Jairus, who was he placing his trust in to begin with? And what was he hoping for? And last, what did he choose to believe? Jesus agrees, and as Jairus leads the way to the crowd, starts pressing in around Jesus. Just think of yourself at one of those Lauren Daigle concerts, which I haven't personally gone to. I'm sure the expectation of Jesus was great. And to have him agree to perform a miracle was giving Jairus some relief. But time was not on their side. 
And I'm sure in his mind he was screaming, hurry, Jesus, this way. We only got so much more to go. But wait, not so fast. Because as he was trying to work his way through the crowds, he looks back and he sees Jesus standing there. So close to having his miracle, forging through that crowd, Jesus had stopped as the precious seconds were passing by. His daughter is dying. Okay, so here's another layer to our Mark and Sandwich. Verse 30, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? The disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? Now get this. People are pressing into Jesus and this crowd. They all want something from him. I mean, they're not there for really any other reason that I can research. And I'm sure that people were trying to touch him if they weren't indeed doing so. You see, the people crowding against you, I believe that this woman, who is nameless in this account, and also unclean, needed her life to be healed also, just like that little girl. To this woman, she was willing to risk everything, just like Jairus, but in a different manner. She knew that she would be healed, and if she could just reach Jesus and just touch his garment, people knew her and knew she was unclean, and for her to touch anyone would have made them unclean. And she knew Jesus was her only hope. She pushed through the crowd, and she would have to do that, right? And was able to touch the garment of Jesus. Her belief and her courage, her faith and her hope are what healed her. Jesus didn't have to lay hands on her to heal her. It was that intersection of her faith and her hope in this crisis situation that gave birth to a miracle. Amen. But I want to ask you, she had exhausted everything, right? She had gone to doctors. So where was she placing her trust? And then what was she hoping for? Finally, what did she choose to believe in? So we're going to go on. She felt the change in her body. So if he didn't feel all these other people touching him or brushing by him or touching his garment, he felt that energy leave. And that was something super significant. The woman who had nothing left, exhausting every effort with the doctors, who couldn't cure her, and in addition to her having no money left, she was worse than she started. At last, her last chance was her only move. And what did she do? She threw a Hail Mary. I just had to put that in there. <laughs> she was healed, and she felt it in her body immediately. I wonder if she was planning to just silently be happy that she was healed, just sneak back out. Because in those times, you didn't just do that. If you were unclean, everybody knew you were unclean, and you had to be declared as clean by somebody that was in authority. 
She hears Jesus ask, who touched my clothes? Jesus was calling her out. And I have to say, I don't know about you, but I would be fearful. I would be trembling just like her. After all, she touched the clothing of the Messiah, the chosen one. Did she taint him with her illness? Would he condemn her and humiliate her like the outcast that she had been for 12 years? Through her fear, she finally had the courage and the faith to be obedient to his call. And she came forth and told Jesus everything in front of this crowd. So this pleased Jesus internally. So what does he do? He says to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He not only heals her, he confirms her healing in front of the many in that crowd, and he gives her an identity. Daughter. In an instant, this woman was not the least of these. She was possibly below that to begin with, but she just became royalty. She became the royalty of her faith and her hope and her obedience to his call. So this brought me to the scripture of Galatians 5, 6. And it says, put another way, the obedience that pleases God comes from faith rather than a mere sense of duty and obligation. So I don't know how many people, <clears throat> preaching to myself, have done things out of your obligation to serve the Lord because that's what you were taught to do. But if you're doing it in faith, it's different. It's something that God calls you to do in love. When love lives here, your perspective is different. So you're doing it out of obedience, but it's not a law. It's because you love the Lord. Amen? Now, in the midst of the blessed miracle, Jairus received news that his daughter is dead. So they are telling him, there's no reason to bother with Jesus. Leave him alone. But scripture says, while he is still talking, he overhears this conversation, and he is now back on his original mission and says, do not be afraid. Just believe. Scripture says he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion and the people crying and wailing. I didn't know this, but they paid people to do that. So I think I'm going to pay people to be at my funeral because I need to know. <laughs> he went in and said to them, what is all this commotion and wailing? Can you just imagine Jesus going, oh my goodness, like what is going on in this household? And he said, she's not dead, but she's asleep. And they laughed at him. And I'm thinking, never laugh at Jesus because he's going to put you out. So he did. <laughs> and so immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. And she was 12 years old. It states that as they were completely astonished, he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, did you notice something? Well, you noticed many things, I'm sure. One miracle was declared in the open community in front of everyone. And the other one was told to be a secret. That was a strict, strict, it says in there. 
So I thought that was interesting. Did you also notice that he didn't call the child daughter? She was a daughter. But the other woman, she had nothing. And he claimed her daughter. So here are the parallels in this scripture. We saw extreme need from two people that were powerless in their situations, desperate for life restoration that no one could provide, no matter what cost, no matter what effort. The humility that both displayed was exactly the same. The fear that each had that drove them to Jesus. It was like a 911 call. My daughter is going to die. And the woman was dying inside because of her condition. There's a parallel of time. The daughter of Jairus was 12 years old, and he was going to lose his only child. And the woman had her condition for 12 years. Can you imagine 12 years of darkness, exclusion from everyone, including worship? Including worship. You can't wash with people. You can't wash your clothes in the same place. You can't talk to people. Just imagine that for a minute. I mean, I know we all had COVID. And if you can just imagine that, that's incredible. Incredible. That's what can happen when faith and hope intersect. All these things, these two miracles that we're talking about. Now, sometimes that fear, that desperation, and life-threatening circumstances can indeed drive you straight to God. However, we live in a day and an age where sometimes hope and faith do not intersect. Sometimes our fear and desperation drive us to seek out answers for ourselves. Anybody here of Google? There was a time in my life when I was searching everywhere except for church, except for God, except for the scripture. I didn't want to do that. I had crystals. I went and got tarot card readings, and most detrimental to me was putting my faith and hope in others that put them in control of my destiny. Hmm. Why? Because I didn't have trust in God. Now, I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. But the trust wasn't there. It took me nearly 40 years to figure out where the destination of here was, where love lives, where that intersection of hope and faith are. It took God saving my life for me to understand that there was love that I could not comprehend. A 40-year detour <laughs> in my life. I mean, does that sound familiar? 40 years and, you know, wondering yeah, there's a parallel. When God changed my life and I had nothing left, nothing left, but I had everything to gain. When he saved me from myself, I asked myself these three questions, and I'll do them one at a time. Where am I placing my trust? So scripture warns us clearly about putting our trust in the wrong places. Habakkuk 2, 8 through 19 reads, this is what the Lord says. The cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh 
and whose heart turns away from the Lord, that person will be like a bush in the wastelands. That's the story of my life. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the streams. It does not fear when heat comes. And it leaves, its leaves are always green. Has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8 says the same thing. I won't read that for the sake of time today. The second question that I had, what was I hoping for? What am I hoping for? And I want us to reflect on that this week. There's hope in suffering, just like the woman in the scripture today who thought her suffering found hope, perseverance. There's a hope in joy and peace as you trust Sometimes we just have trust issues. Romans 5, 3 through 4, not only but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, character, and hope. Now, when somebody used to tell me that, I did not want to hear it. <laughs> That's like giving me advice, and I'm like, yes, I know. I know it by heart. I don't understand it. Now I have a different perspective. Because my trust is level is different for God. Romans 15, 13 says, May God of hope fill you with all the joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what do you do if you don't have that muscle group? If you don't know how to trust, if everything in your life has fallen apart and you've been betrayed by so many people and just... Everything has just fallen. You've lost your job. You've been in circumstances that you can't explain, and you're just losing it. How am I supposed to trust in that? Every step you take, every step you take to trust, it's like being on a diving board and, like, taking that big dive off that diving board that you just don't want to do, and your dad's sitting right there, and it's, like, really just, like, right here, you know. And you're like, no! But when you trust... God is going to reward that. And it may be hard, but it's true. I'm living proof of that. The last question is, what do I believe? So when they were talking about the children's group and they were talking about the power of God, it's everything. I truly believe that. But I also believe in the power of believing. I also believe in the power of prayer. That is something that you can't ever contain. It's something that you can't see. It's something that can give you hope. It's something that can show you where that intersection is. Second Corinthians 3.12 says, Therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. That reminds me of this lady. Out of everything that she went through, she fought to touch a garment so when you know that truth and you're filled with hope, it gives you some courage. The moment that I had hope, I became bold. I had the courage I'd never known before. And finally, I chose to believe that intersection of my faith and hope 
was here inside of me. So how do I carry this into the world today? We were just praying in the prayer room about the earthquake of Turkey and Syria. The numbers are astronomical. And if you think about the darkness of 12 years, being in rubble and not being able to hear, trying to survive, the seconds are precious. We need to call on Jesus. We need to call on God. Where are we placing our trust? How can we place our trust? We can place that in God. No matter what the circumstances are, we place our trust and we stand firm in God together as one body. We do what we can, even if it's pennies on the dollar, even if it's volunteering your time, because that gives people hope. What are we hoping for today? How can we apply that to this world in a hopeless place? It gets dark out there, and it gets frustrating when you focus on everything and you're watching the news. But what can you do? Because if you can do one thing, that gives somebody else hope. If you can pray for somebody, that can give them hope. And last, what do we choose to believe do we believe that there's no hope in this world? Do we believe that everything is just going down the tubes and there's nothing that we can do about it? I don't choose to believe that because we have something. We have here. We have the intersection of hope and faith. And love lives here. And if love lives here, it lives somewhere else because I guarantee you, if there's a place where love and hope intersects, there's another place where love and hope intersects and those intersections are going to become a highway, right? But we need to focus on our sisters and brothers. The power of the Holy Spirit overflowing. I want to encourage you to feel that. I want to encourage you to focus on that and believe it. I want you to believe in the miracles of God. I want you to evaluate your trust in the Lord and the strength of your faith. And I want you to know that it's okay to hope. It doesn't take much to find this place where love lives. You have to believe for it. And I ask you to meet me there at the intersection of faith and hope. I ask you to help others to find the way. And I encourage you to take part in encouraging one another and use the Holy Spirit power within you to show others that love lives here and love lives here. Amen? Thank you. Many blessings.